Welcome once again to the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day and it's Friday the 22nd of May. I'm talking again about clean energy and shortly I'll introduce Peter Ettinger from the Bioenergy Development Company. There's still so much going on that I'm in a quandary. I know the length of the Sustainable Futures Report varies from episode to episode but I do try and keep it below 30 minutes because I want to keep your attention. Today's interview will account for all of that, so what about the rest of the news? And I've already published one interview this week. I've decided that I'll have a general news roundup early next week, and then another expert interview is scheduled for Friday the 29th. I've heard that some people are bored with nothing to do during lockdown. I wonder what that's like. And so to this week's expert. Well, today I'm talking to Peter Ettinger, who is Chief Development Officer of Bioenergy Devco, that's BDC, based in Columbia, Maryland in the United States. Now, Peter, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Peter, we've been talking on the Sustainable Futures Report about clean energy for some time, most recently about nuclear fusion, which is a technology some years off. But today you're going to talk to us about anaerobic digestion, which is very much with us today. Can you just start off by explaining to us or reminding us what anaerobic digestion is? Sure. And it's, a, it's, it's really a good question. It, and the best way to think about it is uh, we're a cow on an industrialized scale. If you think about it, a cow does a couple of things. You know, a cow eats grass. Uh, a cow actually then creates gas. The difference here, and it's all through a four-chamber stomach, nothing goes out to the exposed air, but the cow creating creating gas, the difference for an anaerobic digester is, in fact, we collect that gas. We own that gas. We manage that gas. A cow also does something else. It creates manure. Well, what we do with that manure in the anaerobic digestion process is we create a highly uh, high organic soil amendment. So instead of using a, uh, call it an oil-based fertilizer or some pesticides, you can directly land apply this product to ensure healthy soils. So if you think about it, uh, anaerobic digestion is a great example of the circular economy at work. We take stuff that was in the ground, fresh fruits, organics, meats, other byproducts, and we go all the way through the cycle without odors or anything being exposed to air, uh, materials being exposed to air, and then we start the whole process over again. Okay, okay. Um, so you have two outputs. You have uh, gas. Now you just tell me in a minute a bit more about the gas, and then the residue, which is left over, can be used as a fertilizer. Yes, absolutely. I, we, we, we call it a soil amendment because by nature, fertilizers have other things associated with it. But here in the States, for example, Omri is an organization that certifies organic qualities. So the materials that we work through a digestate, through the heating process, it essentially takes out all the bad stuff. So it meets what they call PFRP standards. When it, at the end of that process, it's known as an EPA, our Environmental Protection Agency, certification for Class A compost. So that material can be put on a field. It can be used in schools in the horticulture work or just general horticulture by consumers. It can be used in stormwater management. It has a variety of uses uh, directly applied to the land. So in this country and throughout the world, the concept of the healthy soil movement is really taking shape. 
and we just serve an, an integral part of that that process. I can certainly talk to you about. Sorry, my phone is beeping like a crazy man. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I um, can certainly talk to you about the gas side of things as well. well before we get onto that, just tell me a bit more about uh, the raw materials that you're working with, and how sure. can you be sure that they are completely clean? I mean. Uh, you can no heavy metals or other contaminants uh, that uh, in them. So I, I, I'll take even a half step backwards, if you okay. don't mind, and give you a bit of history about our company. Uh, we're 22 years old. Uh, we've been doing this for a, a, for a long period of time. So one of the things we know better than anybody, and our, our technology company is called BTS Biogas. So it's an Italian-based company who's built 220 anaerobic digesters throughout the world. They range from very small uh, to very, uh, call it industrialized scale, more than uh, 300,000 MABTUs of renewable natural gas. Our experience in, in building these, these facilities is very much focused on feedstock and analyzing feedstocks, looking at feedstocks, making sure their purity, understanding its content. So for example, we take anything in the organic world so think of it, fresh fruits and vegetable, pre-consumer processed materials. The kind of work that we do with our clients, that such as a Coastal Sunbelt or a Del Monte, is we work within that process. We know how it's cleaned. We know what materials are being used. We know the processing side of that. And we consistently test those materials to ensure there are no heavy metals, that there isn't anything associated with that. The better part of the protection in that. And then I would say the other thing we do better than any is this concept of co-digestion. Uh -huh. Typically, the co-digestion means taking a variety of products, mixing them appropriately, using the right kind of microbial agents inside of that process to ensure gas performance and better and better healthy digesting. So it takes a lot. We call it how do we make a great soup? Easy to throw stuff in a crock pot, you know, might not taste so bad. But to be a chef, a truly a chef, you have to understand the spices. You have to, and in our case, you have to understand what microbes work to what degree and how do you manage that product. We have a major, I, I think actually, the only laboratory in the world dedicated to anaerobic digestion in this microbial mix. We're going to try to replicate that and bring it to the States. But right now, that lab has 20,000 plus inputs of materials um, here. Uh, and is um, basically can can tell you if if I take a little bit of um, poultry waste and I combine that with fats, oils, and greases, I know that this is the right mix. Very similar to what you we as humans do when we take uh, probiotics. There's thousands of strains of a probiotic, but the right one is 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 hard to define and develop. Okay, right. So as I understand it, then your business is actually creating bespoke digesters and constructing them for your particular client's requirements. Um, now, this is a technology which is widely available. Um, what makes your company different? I mean, is it, you mentioned on the um, website, artificial intelligence. Is, is that something which uh, marks you out? So a couple of things. We, we have a couple of versions of what we do and how we do it. So uh, we might work for a major municipality, for example. So the issues associated with waste are clear cut. Organics do nothing for uh, landfills other than create greenhouse gases. Organics do nothing in the world of incineration other than being a wet weight. So uh, municipalities are now looking at innovative ways to deal with waste 
because the cost of actually opening up a new landfill is hundreds of millions of dollars. Environmental justice issues, obvious ones, are not really allowing new incineration. So we work with municipalities and we say, look, we have a better way. We can, re we are in essence a sustainable landfill. We can take those organics, create more room in your landfill so you can use materials you know, package materials, other materials that you can actually sell and gain revenue from. And in the same time, we can then go manage this product, creating a, a, uh, an environment, uh, call it an economic development asset for your city. Same time, second kind of project we work with is this bespoke model. So a major poultry facility, for example, who's has a consistent amount of waste, has controversy around landfills, controversy around land application. We can actually take that waste, work on their facility, not only manage it at a constant cost so the margins don't flip all times for them, but also provide them with energy as as well. So in that in that model, what makes us different is one, it's history. You know, we've done this over a past 20 some odd year process. Our understanding of the microbial process, understanding what mixes together to make a per plant performance. A result of doing that is we actually ensure and guarantee the performance of the plant. So if of the 150 we actually operate, I can look to you and say, I know you will get 275,000 MMBTUs every day, every year, I mean. So we can ensure that as well. And uh, then I would say the telemetry side of what we do, you know, I'll go to technology. Um, the older digesters and many other pe people when small ones on farms would had no way to communicate, uh, not only internally to define the activity of the microbes, but also no way to communicate with the folks who are operating the facility. All of we we've added this this sense of technology, this sense of sensors, uh, telemetry so that at a moment's notice, you could be looking at your phone today and be able to tell me, you know, the digester in Jessup, Maryland, looks like it's going to foam. You know, you need to be looking at this and understanding, you know, you need a counterbalance mix to it. So very, very, very important for us to see that uh, on a proactive basis versus simply a reactive basis. Okay. Now, are you uh, clearly you're installing this technology across the United States. Are you um, doing this in other parts of the world? Are you licensing the technology or... Um do you have a global outlook? Oh, absolutely. We're very, very much so. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned that our BTS biogas company has built 220 of these digesters as far away as Japan, uh, a number in England, a number uh, we own the largest market share in Italy. Uh, we're building in France. We've built in South America. The uh, really, I'm leading the the U.S. invasion uh, here, along with Sean Kreloff, our CEO, to to take this readily adaptable and and very valuable technology from Europe and introducing it to the United States in a new, improved um, view of how do you manage typically organic waste, creating uh, these kind of renewable and sustainable products. So. We're, we're doing great in Europe. We continue to do great in Europe. We're building, in fact, hiring throughout that part of the world. But we want to take this European success and basically bring it to the United States. Okay. Uh, just tell me a bit more about the gas. Tell me exactly what the, the gas is. Is it methane or, or, or what? Yes, absolutely. Um, it is. Um, so we, we do. Whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I what I did there. Well, I can still see and hear you. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. You know, I apologize. Um, yeah. The the okay. um, the methane itself. Um, so we create a biogas, a brown gas, which is around 50, 60 percent methane. 
So our abilities here, um, what we do with that is we scrub that gas, we manage that that product, and then we actually um, uh, have an opportunity uh, to to work with a larger utility or with a larger um, uh, energy company. So a, think of it as a regulated utility here in the U.S., uh, uh, Chesapeake Utilities, a uh, Con Edison. And by managing that gas, cleaning that gas, either through a water or membrane process, we actually have uh, a product that can be directly injected. So that our typical plant that takes in 100,000 tons of uh, MM, uh, 100,000 tons of organic waste will, in fact, actually produce somewhere in the tune of 275 to 300,000 MMBTUs per year. So that has transitioned from brown gas or call it raw gas to an actual RNG product. And that is even us through the, the grid. It can be compressed and become renewable, uh, compressed natural gas. Or, in fact, we're in early discussions here to transition that to hydrogen as well. So think of it, sustainability in, in a broad scale. Yeah, well, that's what's really interesting because there are a lot of advantages to hydrogen. Uh, there are also a lot of problems with hydrogen as far as I can see as well. But, um, okay, so you're using this gas for industrial processes? Oh, you've gone. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm here. Oh, that's oh. all right then. Uh, <laughs> just the picture's changed. I can see me, but not, yeah, I can see you now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, what was I saying? Uh yeah, the use for the gases. You were saying that it can go into the grid. So it sounds as though some of your plants are pretty large to justify a connection to the grid um, yeah. because presumably they may in some cases be quite some way away from the grid. Um, you link with a pipeline or do you tanker it out or what do you do? A couple of things, and that's a great, great question. And it really is around the type of plant we're creating. So, if, for example, in a municipality, our plant in Jessup, Maryland, sits on five acres of, of land, sits in the center of a of, of food and food distribution hub. There we're about 1,100 feet from, a, from an interconnection point, and we deliberately pick that land, that plot of land, not only because of its waste and its access uh, to roadways, but because we're next to a grid, a grid connection. We then are able to then uh, talk to our various clients uh, and their end goal uses of that. Uh, whether they want to simply sell it for transportation use and using the California markets, or for example, many electric utilities here are now using renewable natural gas as part of their renewable energy credit and their responsibility to consumers. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, we also work in, in with, a, with a utility who's mostly focused on trucking of gas. So they like some of our more remote locations where we have lots of organic waste from the agricultural field, but not a whole lot of connection to the gas grid. So they economically say, well, well, let us begin to almost milk run your gas. You know, think about it as picking it up and depositing it within cities or within a grid mark that is it's most acceptable. So we we work in a couple of different ways in 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 that area. You know, really depends on the client, really depends on the goal and objective and and how much gas we're producing out of each one of our facilities. So some of this gas will be used for uh, road transport then for Absolutely. The, the move in this country is to compress natural gas. I, we believe diesel will go the way of the dodo. Um, and we also don't, and particularly for long haul trucks, you know, I mean, if you think about it, people coming up and down the eastern seaboard, you know, diesel is, is too expensive and it certainly doesn't, it's, it's not as effective in terms of its environmental quality. So 
Uh, we're now working with a couple of companies on an eastern seaboard CNG, compressed natural gas filling station, um, primarily for long haul trucks. We also work, um, we have a project now with a, um, a university that is where that university is looking and taking all the, and transitioning all their vehicles to compressed natural gas. So the vehicles that go in and around the university, again, a smaller digester, but enough gas for them to to um, meet their carbon reduction requirements. So, again, a lot of what we do is. Well, let me say it, a long time ago or a while ago people got very enmeshed and very thoughtful about technology. And they said, this is the coolest technology in the world. And they tried to find a way to go and solve somebody's problem with it. We we work with our clients trying to understand their challenges in the waste field, their, their challenges in terms of the use of renewable natural products or gas or soil amendments. And then we based on a pro forma and based on a mutually transparent view, say, look, here's the technology that seems to work. And if we do it this way, it's a benefit for all parties. I, I, we don't want to be selling a tech to tech, uh, you know, it's cost me two cents for this screwdriver, or three cents for that screwdriver. It's really a goal. And since an objective, since we're in a community for 20 plus years, you know, in, in building these facilities it, and we we actually take on the financing of these projects. So it's key, important for, for our audience to know is that when you look at this from a performa base, there is a real commitment to this local community. There is a real commitment to stay within this local uh, community and be very successful. So from our perspective, we on projects where we have enough waste and we actually work closely with our clients, we actually finance the project. We'll come in and build, build it in association with the municipality and or the, the, the bespoke client. Right. Well, I was going to ask you my next question. Um, how does this compare on cost? But I think you've more or less answered it, because if you're going to take the financial risk on a project, you clearly are confident that it is going to pay for itself. And therefore, the fuel or the feedstock or whatever it is, sorry, the fuel or the, uh, the gas that you're producing uh, must be competitive in the market. Absolutely. And and we're willing to, you know, based on that performance, as I said, ensure and guarantee our performance makes sense for us then. We're very, very, uh, we feel very confident about that. Okay. Now, looking to the future, you mentioned briefly something about hydrogen, and I said there are problems with hydrogen. The problem I'm aware of is that if you get hydrogen out of natural gas, you're left with CO2. Uh, and so um, while you might go away and burn the hydrogen and it's perfectly clean, uh, what happens to the CO2 that was um, uh, extracted uh, as part of the hydrogen production process? Well, I think that that's a very good point. I think there are new innovations that are being introduced every day, either in CO2 um, capture. So, for example, we take CO2 and we do a number of things with it, you know, not uh, from uh, working with um, large growers in greenhouses who are using CO2 on a regular basis uh, to creating an industrial scale CO2 for use in beverages as well. I, I'm not as aware as I should be probably of the innovations in the hydrogen world, but groups like Bloom or Toyota and others are finding ways to scrub that CO2, making in, in, in ensuring that it is an inert gas and not doesn't maintain its its um, its properties. So it's now goes through either a scrubbing technology and it's actually being disposed of, or it's actually being incorporated in a secondary or tertiary part of the technology. And I wish I knew more about it, but I'm way over my skis in terms of my technology, my technology understanding. 
Okay, well, you've given us a very interesting roundup of uh, of the technology and your place in promoting anaerobic digestion. Um, apart from hydrogen, what do you see um, uh, as the future? Uh, more of the same and um, less and less diesel. I think I I believe we believe very strongly that um, we deserve the world of anaerobic digestion deserves a place at the renewable table. Uh, electric has solar; they have wind. The only true renewable natural gas is one that comes from anaerobic digestion. It's the only true example of cir the circular economy at work. And it is the only thing that I believe that can succeed without necessarily a government subsidy, enabling this, to, enabling this to be implemented in cities and towns around the world. So we believe a couple of things. One, we'd like a seat at the table. Two, we want to be able to have a holistic view of renewable natural energy, whether it be electricity or, or gas. And that we strongly think that in your in your hometown near you or in the home near you or the town near you, don't be surprised to see an anaerobic digester uh, become part of your community and become part of the long term success in the renewable fields. Yeah, I think I prefer to have that in my community rather than one of these um, uh, back of the lorry nuclear power stations that they're talking about developing. Um, just just feel a bit more comfortable with your technology, I think, than that. I think I think so. You know, the the impact of this technology is really quite amazing. Uh, our our plant, our typical two hundred seventy five thousand ton plant. Uh, I'm, no, I'm sorry, a typical hundred thousand ton plant that produces two hundred seventy five thousand mmbtus. You know, creates enough renewable natural gas to to uh, for sixty six hundred homes. Um, electricity, in terms of electricity, I mean, 50, and 55, 5,600 cars off the highway. And that's 26,000, you know, tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. So that's, that's a big impact. That's a couple of natural parks, small natural parks uh, working uh, successfully, particularly in a local community. So as big companies are trying to figure out what to do with waste, as communities are trying to find ways to work with those large companies and make, ensuring economic development in the community itself, uh, we believe we have a, a, a role there to uh, uh, support us, uh, support these towns long into the future. Peter, thank you very much. That's been a really interesting roundup of the situation. And I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at the Sustainable Futures Report. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Anthony. It's a great, great, uh, great, great podcast, and we enjoy it very much. Well, that's very nice to hear. I was talking to Peter Ettinger, Chief Development Officer of Bioenergy Devco. That's bioenergydevco.com. Apologies for the bongs from Peter's phone. Despite my best efforts, I was not able to edit them out without editing him out as well. And that's it for this week. That was the second episode of the Sustainable Futures Report this week. Last Wednesday, I published a conversation with Dr. James Dyke of Exeter University. He was co-signatory to a recent letter to the Guardian newspaper, which said it's game over for preventing dangerous climate change. I asked him where we should go from here. Do listen if you've not already heard it and let me know what you think. And feedback about this episode and any other aspect of sustainability is always welcome. You could even send me an audio clip to mail at anthony-day.com. By the way, last week I mentioned that Dr. Kate Lancaster of the University of York had made a presentation recently on fusion energy. 
It's on YouTube, and you can find the link on the blog, which of course is at www.sustainablefutures.report. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. There'll be another episode, possibly even two, next week. I'm Anthony Day. Until then. Thank you.